0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
1: Good afternoon. Welcome to our opening afternoon of the Householder Retreat, which we have about two times a year. I recognize most of you, um, so it's good to see so many familiar faces and so many coming back to do this retreat again. So for those of you who are not familiar with this retreat, I'll just give a brief uh, overview of what the retreat is about. It's really a opportunity to explore how to bring our mindfulness practice, our awareness, into the midst of our everyday activities. This is uh, something that we all would like to be able to do, but our sitting meditation doesn't actually prepare us very well for being active and mindful. So I actually like to provide some specific structures, some techniques to support this practice when we're in sitting meditation we have some specific techniques usually that we're using to help us to remember to be mindful we sit in stillness that itself is a great support for us to remember mindfulness because while we're sitting in stillness often with our eyes closed when we wake up in the midst of an argument with a friend or a uh, a fantasy where we're sitting on the beach in Tahiti, we recognize, oh, I'm not there. I'm actually sitting here in the meditation hall with my eyes closed. So that supports our uh, recognition. The stillness and the eyes closed actually supports our recognition that our minds have wandered. Also, we often practice with coming back to the breath over and over again as a reference point to help us to cultivate a stability of awareness. And that too supports our uh, remembering when we've gotten lost in thought because there's a contrast between paying attention to the breathing and thinking about the next thing we have to do, the next meal we have to prepare, the, the to-do list we have for the rest of the week. So both of those pieces support in sitting meditation, support our ability to help us remember when we come back into mindfulness, when we, when we come back into mindfulness spontaneously, because we can't actually bring ourselves back into mindfulness. It has to happen spontaneously. And then we can recognize that that spontaneous mindfulness has arisen. So these things in our sitting meditation support our ability to recognize that spontaneous mindfulness has arisen. But in our daily lives, we don't have these supports. And we have so much momentum in our minds towards the things we have to do, towards our emotions and our reactivity to the world, that those are what's carrying the mind. The momentum is carrying us forward through any moment that we might spontaneously wake up and be mindful. Usually that momentum of the mind is stronger than that spontaneous moment of mindfulness, and we end up lost in thought again. So what I like to do during this week is really to provide some support for helping you to notice That spontaneous arising of mindfulness. So that there's some recognition when mindfulness comes back. So we will, during this week, we'll talk about, today I'll talk about a lot of different, several different ways to work with this. And um, so today is mostly a day of instructions. Instructions. And then during the week, we'll meet morning and evening, for those of you who can. um, There's no requirement to come to every single session, although it is helpful if you can come to as many as you can. So we meet morning and evening during the week, and during that time, uh, we mostly discuss what's happening for us in our daily life practice. How are these techniques supporting us? What are we noticing? Where are we getting lost? All of those things. And we actually report. We, we talk to each other about it. And I often provide some feedback about things you might have missed, things, uh, you might be able to notice with a little more attentiveness. So there'll, there'll be discussions primarily in the morning and the evening. Sometimes I might have an exercise that I feel will be particularly supportive of the practices or I might think of a topic that I've heard a theme about and just give a little short Dharma talk. Um, but primarily it will be discussion and question and answer during the uh, during the mornings and evenings. Except for Monday and Thursday evening, which will be the regular um, sitting group which we have. Every Monday and Thursday, and I, I will give the Dharma talk. So it will be a th- along the theme of what we're working on this week. That those talks on those evenings, but there won't be the uh, the discussion group. How many of you are planning to attend this whole week as a retreat? Well, come. Some of you may may come just mornings. Some may come just evenings, um, and that's that. I would consider that attending the whole retreat, Um, if you can, if you can come one or the other. So yeah, let's go ahead. Go ahead and raise your hands again. I need to. Okay, so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Okay, good. Um, so the, for those of you who are planning on coming regularly during the week, I will also be offering interviews. Um, so I'll have a, a sign-up sheet for interviews, um, which I'll put out during the walking period, which we'll do a little bit later. And so you can sign up. I have enough slots for everybody to sign up for two interviews this week. So um, pick one during the first half of the week and one during the second half of the week for a time that works for you. And then on Saturday, we'll come together for a day-long retreat, which will um, also be in a style that supports our ability to pay attention in our daily life more uh, readily than uh, our usual sitting practice our usual sitting and walking practices. So that's kind of the structure of the week. And uh, since we are entering into a retreat, it's um, kind of a tradition for us to start a retreat by, by taking the refuges and the, the precepts. How many of you have not ever done this? Okay, um, this, uh, this is a way, essentially, of creating some shared agreements that we agree to use as uh, modes of conduct during the week. The refuges are, are more about internal uh, support in ourselves as we engage in these practices, the refuge in the the Buddha, the refuge in the Dharma, the refuge in the Sangha, or the refuge in the Buddha. And I'll just do these really briefly. Um, These could each be Dharma talks in themselves, so I'll really just skim the surface here. Um, The refuge in the Buddha, I I find most supportive for me to think of as... um, The Buddha represented somebody who had the capacity to wake up, and he did wake up. So that we're not necessarily taking refuge in the person of the Buddha who lived 2,500 years ago, but more in our own capacity to wake up. And we may not have a sense of that capacity, but let me just give you a taste of it right here and right now. Do you know that you're sitting here? Do you know that you're seeing? Do you know that you're hearing? Do you know that your body is touching the ground? The mind has the capacity to be aware, kind of just inherently in being human. We have that capacity. It's not one that we often think about cultivating as a capacity. Many of us think about it, but as a, as a species as a whole, it's not something we tend to think about cultivating. And it's a quality that the Buddha really highlighted as pay attention to this ability that we have as human beings to be awake, to be aware of what's happening while it's happening. So it's an, in, it's a kind of an innate capacity that we just have as human beings to be aware, to, to, we have this capacity to wake up. So taking refuge in the Buddha, to me, is taking refuge in that innate capacity that we have. And as we touch into that capacity, we actually see that it really supports us, that it is a refuge, that when we touch into that capacity of our, of our hearts and minds, we see that we can meet what happens with much less reactivity, and even ultimately without reactivity. That's the promise of Buddhist teachings. That that capacity can be cultivated to the degree where we can meet our experience with balance of mind. So that's refuge in the Buddha. Refuge in the Dharma can be thought of in a couple of different ways. It um, can be thought of as taking refuge in the actual teachings that the, the Buddha taught the, the teachings on the Four Noble Truths, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, the meditation teachings, the, the techniques he taught, the, the wisdom that he presented. That in a sense we can um, take refuge in that wisdom through reflecting on it, contemplating it, thinking about it. And there's another way to Think about the dharma, because the term dharma actually has multiple meanings. And one of the meanings is essentially something akin to truth or truth of experience. That we can, through our capacity to be aware, know what's actually happening in the present moment. We can contact the truth of the present moment which is the truth of our experience when we are not reacting to experience. And even if we are re- if we're reacting to experience and know that reaction as a reaction, that's also knowing the truth of the moment. It's when we're lost or caught in reactivity that we're not in contact with this truth of experience of the present moment. I think you'll find if you align yourself in some way with what is actually happening as opposed to what we want to be happening, there's a a degree of relaxation and happiness that results from that alignment with the truth of what is actually happening. So that's a way, it's a refuge to us. When we can align ourselves with that truth, there's a releasing into and a capacity to relax. And it feels like a refuge when we actually align with the truth. The third is the refuge in the Sangha. And for this week, really the refuge is in the community that's created here for this week of practice. Those of you who who can attend regularly will find the support of community for working with this very difficult practice of bringing our awareness into our daily lives. It's not such an easy thing to do. But having this regular support, meeting regularly, And hearing how other people are working with these practices provides a great support and encouragement to engage ourselves. It's like this feedback that we see. As we hear what somebody else is doing, we recognize things we might have seen but may not have actually articulated or we're inspired by something somebody has seen and thought, oh, maybe I can try that. So there's a way that community really provides a support for this process. So taking refuge in the Buddha is really looking at our capacity, taking refuge in the Dharma is what we are waking up to with that capacity the truth of what we are waking up to with that capacity. And taking refuge in the Sangha is taking refuge in the support of community to help us meet the truth with that capacity. So taking refuge in these really is about acknowledging that it's essentially that we need help to do this work and that we can both turn inwardly to our own capacity, turn to the actual experience as it's happening and the teachings of the Buddha and to our community to help us with this process. So let's do a a chanting of the refuges. Um, And we'll do it line at a time, because I think many of you know these. And those of you who don't, I'll do. We'll do call and response um, so that you can follow along. But we'll do it line at a time. And we will do this part of taking refuge in the the language of the, the Buddha, the Pali. It's a pretty simple chant, Um, the words, uh, the first part is a kind of an homage to the Buddha, the first line that we'll do, actually which I'll do in smaller bits than the whole line. The first line is an homage to the Buddha, which basically uh, recognizes the Buddha as someone who did the work to enlighten himself, who, who found this truth of waking up to... Experience by himself, and then we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha three times. Namotasa, Namotasa, Namotasa Bhagavato, Arahato, Samma Sambudasa Namotasa Namo Bhagavato Arahato, Arahato Sama Sambudasa, Sama
2: Sambudasa.
1: Namotasa, Sambudasa Bhagavato Arahato. Arahato. Arahato Sama Sambudasa. Budang Sarananga Chami, Budang Sarananga Chami, Damang Sarananga Chami, Damang Sarananga Chami, Sangang saranang
2: dutiam
1: pe budhang saranang gacchami tuju anni budhang saranang Tatiampi Budang Sarananga Charmi Tatiampi Budang Sarananga Charmi Tatiampi Tati Damang Sarananga chami. Tatyampi sangam saranangacchami. Tatyampi
3: sangam sarananga
1: The precepts are about our conduct in the world and um, commitment towards cultivating non-harming in the world cultivating uh, and the five precepts that we take as lay people are cultivating non-killing not taking what's not given cultivating um, uh, not engaging in sexual misconduct cultivating not uh, speaking falsely and cultivating not um, using intoxicants so these are uh, the first four are clearly about how our um, uh, behavior impacts others, you know, to not, to not kill other beings. Um, now, during this week, it might be interesting for you to explore the deeper aspect of this te- teaching, which includes um, seeing if you can refrain from even killing the insects in your house to refrain from um, uh, swatting mosquitoes as you're walking outside. Just seeing if there's another way you can learn to engage in uh, working with these beings that are not so likable to us. It doesn't mean that you have to let ants overrun your kitchen, but can you find ways, creative ways, to work with these ants And I do actually want to point to something else about this precept, um, you know, because you know, while, we're, while most of us are, you know, I think none of us are going to be uh, engaged in killing other human beings, that itself, that commitment to that Commitment to not killing other human beings and recognizing that you have made that commitment is not a small thing. Appreciate that commitment that you have made and reflect on what a different world it would be if everyone made that commitment. It's not really, even that piece of it Even that piece of that precept is a gift to the planet. It's really a gift to the planet. These precepts are really uh, very applicable to our work this week in daily life because they are about how we engage with the world. So looking for yourself, what does it mean to work with this teaching or work with this precept of refraining from killing. Now this killing, this, this, uh, the definition of killing has a very um, um, clear uh, definition and it includes the intention to kill. Actually, it's, I think it's got five pieces to it. It includes the perception of a being as a being. Uh, the perception, I don't know if I'll be able to remember all of these. <laughs> the the um, intention to kill, the acting out of that intention to kill. Oh, well, Actually, the first one is the, the, the being itself. That's what it is. The first one is that there is a being. The second one is that you perceive it as a being. The third one is the intention to kill. The uh, fourth one is the acting on that intention. And the fifth one is the actual taking of life. So, for instance, if you're walking across the lawn and you step on ants that you don't know are there, that is not uh, breaking the precept of not killing because you're not aware of the ants. You're not, when you're not aware of the being, the intention is not there. So it's really, it's a lot about the intention and acting on the intention is really where we work with this precept. So for instance, when I'm working with my aunts in the kitchen trying to scoop them up and take them outside, some of them may get hurt or killed in that process. And I, as I do this, I wish them all compassion and I try, you know, I try to do this as gently as possible. But, but you you know, don't beat yourselves up. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> you know, it, it, looking at the intention is really what we're doing. The intention and, fo- you know, ref- seeing if you cannot follow through on that intention to kill. The second one about... Um, refraining from taking what is not given. Um, this one is mostly about, you know, just not taking what is not offered. And there's obvious aspects to this and maybe some more subtle aspects to it in the, uh, in the work environment of, um, you know, taking pens, pencils, papers home from work that may not necessarily be offered for you to take home from work. It may be, it may be clear in the work environment that, yes, you are welcome to take this paper home to use in your printer at home so that you can do your work at home. Um, But um, just looking at this, and again, the intention to steal and following through are two of the key components, the intention to take what's not given and following through on that. The third one, (laughs) You can, yeah, brush them off. And and actually, sometimes it's interesting to work with mosquitoes kind of in the way of offering. (laughs) You know, it's like if you've got one mosquito in your bedroom that's driving you nuts... (laughs) You might just, here, you know, have three drops of blood. Have three drops of blood, and then it'll be quiet <laughs> for the rest of the night. <laughs> um, so the the third precept around um, sexual misconduct, this one really is, um, this one can get... Uh, complex. <laughs> you know, in the, in the Buddha's teaching, it's about not engaging in adultery. Um, so that's the, the main way to look at it. But it's also interesting to explore around our sexual energy. And do we use our sexual energy to um, manipulate, try to get something that we want So exploring the sexual energy, and again, looking at, I I look at all the precepts as being really around the non-harming aspect. So taking care with sexual energy in recognizing that sexual energy is a pretty potent force and can easily cause harm. So being careful with how we use it The fourth precept around um, not speaking falsely. This one um, actually can be quite challenging in some ways. Um, I mean, we, we don't often engage in gross lies, but we often engage in subtle exaggeration or um, white lies, or um, deceiving through not speaking sometimes. That if we see somebody has a particular impression of something, if we don't speak up, because we prefer them to be deceived. So that the, the the teaching around this precept is around deception. Bodily deception and verbal deception. So looking at whether there's intention to deceive and uh, following through on that intention to deceive, that's the, the crux of this exploration. The fifth precept is around refraining from intoxicants. And this one really is about cultivating clarity of mind because intoxicants, and this means basically recreational drugs and alcohol, um, not prescription medication, which can alter the mind also. Um, it's, it's about using uh, recreational drugs and alcohol to alter our mind in some way to intoxicate ourselves in some way. And so this is really about cultivating a clarity of mind because as we engage in substances that dull our capacity to wake up, we're getting in our own way. We're just getting in our own way. So I'd like to suggest that for this week, you see what it would mean to abstain from alcohol and recreational drugs. Just explore that. Just see how you relate to it, what use you make of it, how you, are you trying to avoid something? Do you feel like that's the only way you can relax? Just explore what it would mean to let that go for a week. So engaging in these precepts is a training. They're not I mean, we engage in them with kind of... They're engaged in as training rules of conduct. They're not... uh, They have the flavor of the Ten Commandments of the thou shalt not uh, wording because they're worded in the negative and um, very similar kinds of things. With the understanding of the training aspect of it, we recognize we may not be perfect at this. And so when or if you end up um, not being able to follow one of these precepts, just see if you can observe, first of all, observe the consequences of not following the precepts. You You have a glass or two of alcohol, What happens to you that evening when you try to meditate? Or the next morning when you try to meditate? I actually found when I was making this exploration for myself that a glass of wine in the evening not only impacted my ability to meditate that evening, but the next morning as well. So explore what the consequences are of not following the training rule. And see if you can just recommit to continuing to try to engage with these, with these precepts. This creates a container for our community here as we go through the week. And they're also, the precepts are also considered to be beautiful gifts that we offer the world that when we refrain from killing, we offer freedom from fear to limitless beings. That these, these engagements with the precepts can be thought of as an act of generosity to the world. And your engagement with them will have an impact on the world, one that you may or may not notice. But but our engagement with these precepts has a ripple effect out into the world. These precepts also require mindfulness, and that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about this week, is working with mindfulness. But if you see yourself getting ready to Swat a mosquito or kill an ant or swat a spider on your wall. These precepts are kind of designed to go, oh, wake up. <laughs> I'm about ready to take this action that I've committed to not doing this week. So the, working with these precepts will support your waking up. This is one of the techniques... That supports our remembering to be mindful. So we'll take these precepts in English, and again, we'll do it. We'll do it. Um, call in response. I undertake the training rule to refrain. From killing living beings.
2: I undertake the training rule to
4: refrain from killing living
1: beings. I undertake the training rule to refrain from taking that which is not given. I undertake the training rule to refrain from sexual misconduct. I undertake, the rule to from false I undertake the training rule to refrain from false speech. I undertake the training rule to refrain from intoxicants, which cloud the mind. So the precepts is one way to engage in helping us to remember mindfulness throughout the week. And if you can reflect, it, it's 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 interesting, you know, to think of this. Um, if you can reflect on how your ethical conduct. is a gift to other beings. That is said to support happiness, support uh, an open-heartedness and a joy in our own experience. So you don't even have to just think of this in a moment when you're like, oh, ready to swat that mosquito and you don't swat the mosquito. Reflect on it maybe once or twice through the day maybe in the evening when you go to bed, reflect on how you have followed these precepts, where you actually engaged with them to not kill, to not take what's not given, to to not engage in sexual misconduct, to not speak falsely, to not have intoxicants, take intoxicants. If you can uh, recall that for a large part of your day, you were actually refraining from these actions and recollect that that offers a gift to other beings. It can support what's called the bliss of blamelessness. The bliss of blamelessness. So I encourage this reflection, partly because this week um, in these Householder Retreat Weeks, I give some specific techniques for helping to cultivate mindfulness through the week, but I also offer a theme for the week. And the theme for this week is Cultivating Happiness. So um, use this reflection on the precepts as a support for recognizing how you're offering this gift to all beings. So that's one aspect of this week, the working with the precepts and recognizing, hopefully, using it to support a sense of happiness. Now, you've been sitting for nearly an hour, so what I'm going to suggest now is that we'll talk about a moving practice, a walking practice. And then we'll do some walking. And then we'll come back and talk about some of the other techniques that uh, I offer to support the cultivation of mindfulness. So the walking practice that I like to uh, work with during these householder retreats is a little different from the walking practice which you may have done if you've attended other day longs here at the center. The The kind of walking practice we often do on a mindfulness day long, is very slowed down, very precise movement. And what we need to do in our daily lives is begin to wake up to how we are already moving, to get familiar with what it means to be mindful in our regular pace of moving. So I'm going to suggest during uh, this walking period that you walk through the neighborhood and... The first thing I'd like to suggest you notice or track in your experience is a sense of the pace that you walk at and whether it feels easeful to your body. There's usually some pace of movement that mindfulness can hook up with if we're walking too fast, it's, it's like our mind is kind of working busily and the mindfulness has trouble keeping up with it. If we're walking too slow, sometimes the mindfulness feels like it's heavy and hard to, to connect with the movement. So finding that pace where the mind can be at ease with being present. So that's the first part of working with walking in our daily lives. Just see if you can connect with the pace that brings ease in the walking. So play with it, play with it as you go out for a walk. For the first, how long are we gonna walk for? Half an hour, we'll walk for half an hour. So uh, for the first, say 10 minutes or so of the walk, play with the pace and see if you can find the pace that brings ease. And then as we engage during the week with walking as a mindfulness place to cultivate our mindfulness, ultimately we are going to move towards simply being aware while walking. We just simply notice what we're aware of while we're walking. And we're not particularly needing to focus on walking itself, but just what the mind naturally pays attention to while walking. That can be challenging at the beginning. So I like to offer an exercise that helps people to get familiar with what it means to pay attention to the world and the body as we're walking. So after that first 10 minutes or so of the feeling the pace and what pace brings you ease. When you find that pace that brings you ease, I'd like to suggest another technique for engaging in awareness while walking. And that is, it's kind of a four-part exploration. When we're walking, our eyes are open. And so seeing is actually a huge part of what's happening for us when we're walking. And in our daily lives, we need to learn how to be mindful of seeing itself because so often when our eyes are open, because we sit with our eyes closed, when our eyes open, it's like our our, our minds go out our eyes and we lose track of our mindfulness through seeing things. So beginning to learn how to engage in the mindfulness with our eyes open, consciously recognizing that seeing is happening. So we begin this walking practice with, say for the first 10 or 15 steps, noticing the fact that seeing is happening. You might use the mental note of seeing, seeing. Seeing, that can help to attune you to the fact that seeing is happening. Now, you don't have to do seeing in any particular way. Just notice how you are seeing. There are many different ways that the mind engages in the seeing process. It it can just kind of see the general field or the mind might be Noticing particular objects one after another. Kind of moving quickly from thing to thing. Or you might notice that interest gets sparked by a particular thing. You know, a cat running across the street. Your mind will get drawn to that. Just notice how your mind is seeing. So just notice the seeing process. So that's the first part. 10 to 15 paces of seeing. And then switch to 10 to 15 paces of noticing the fact that hearing is happening. It's taking in the sounds. Then switching after 10 or 15 paces to the body. Coming into the physical body. What does it feel like for the body to be moving through space? This can be uh, a little um, unfamiliar, to us and before we go out for the walking I'll do a little exercise to give you a sense of this feeling. Um, just notice what you notice about the body moving through space. You might notice some some physicality of the legs, the arms moving. And then there's also the sense of just the progression of this being through space. Then the fourth part is Uh, Coming in contact with the feet on the ground. Very, you know, obvious sensation of foot hitting the ground one after the other. So every 10 to 15 paces, switching, seeing, hearing, moving, touching. And you, you can use the note for each of those. I think I'll I'll just leave it at that for now and, and let you explore it in your experience. But before we go out, I do want to do this very brief exercise on the moving feeling. So I'd like everybody to stand up. And maybe stand with your feet about hips width apart. I suggest you keep your eyes open for this. Oh, no, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Might be easier. Close your eyes. Relax. Relax your body. Now, I'd like you to stand perfectly still without gripping any muscles. Is that possible? Uh-uh. Okay. What are you feeling as you kind of attune to the sense of stillness and notice that it's not possible? What, what are the feelings that you notice? Name them out loud, just some of you. Swaying, Swaying movement, balance. balance, tensing of muscles. Tensing of muscles. Spontaneous. Spontaneous, okay. Oh, spontaneous tensing of yes. muscles, yes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Breathing. Breathing. Mm-hmm. Do any of you have a sense of falling forward and falling back? That falling forward and falling back feeling is the movement. Or falling side to side. That's, that's the feeling of movement, that falling forward and falling back. It's essentially a response to gravity kind of like being pulled by the magnet of gravity, and then our muscles contract and tense and respond to that feeling. So when you're walking, you can... It's a subtle feeling, this feeling of falling forward and falling back. But you can key into it a little bit in the moving through space. It can help if you put perhaps your attention in the area of your heart, and don't um you don't have to struggle too hard to find the feeling if what's most obvious to you in the movement is the uh the musculature of the body moving through space that's fine just seeing if you can contact that the physicality of moving through space so we'll come back at 3:10 um, and again just Walk through the neighborhood. You don't have to do back-and-forth walking. This is about learning how to engage in walking as we would be going to the grocery store, walking in our house, walking around our work, our business. So just taking a walk and engaging with these practices. So, And I'll ring a bell at about 3.05 to bring people back. So if you're walking through the neighborhood, just see if you can come back into the vicinity at around... walking practice and if we could use the microphones that would be helpful
4: Betsy
0: I was a little in a hurry to get on to the next step. So I think I might have abbreviated the 10 minutes getting comfortable in my pacing. I'm going to set that up as a possibility. I think I might have spent, you know, five and a half minutes there, thought, I'm I'm comfortable, and um, then had an opportunity to reflect at the end of my walk how the full 10 minutes might have served me. Because when I entered scene, um, as you had suggested here, I rushed out. Um, I wasn't fully embodied. I rushed out with um, um, a what I was. What I found myself observing was the subtle way my mind was vigilant in scene. So it was a doing of seeing? A very much doing of seeing. Okay, uh huh. And it was this discomfort around the vigilance. I mean, I saw myself going, large crack ahead, large (laughs) crack ahead. I mean, it was, I I was, I felt like my mother. (laughs) And so I was kind of amused to see the repetition of this happening. My goodness, looking for little threats. Uh, to my safety. So first I think, thanks mom. I know you have my best interest at heart. I'm going to be just fine. And after a while I could let go in that way that as a parent you learn to let go. I could let go and trust that I'm going to be just fine. And by that time I thought it's probably about time that you moved into the hearing. <laughs> and I was in so ready to just be with a hearing. And in my ability to just listen and not to fixate, um, nothing predominated until then the sound of my own footsteps came up to my ears. And I've never really been there to hear my footsteps falling on the earth in that way before. And it was so ordinary and it was so special.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So thank you.
1: So, did you notice when you got back to seeing? Yeah. that it was more relaxed.
0: I had this sort of exchange for a minute between relaxed, not relaxed, not. But then I, I went because I'm now a little more um, accustomed to moving through the four points. I went by the time I go back to seeing again. My hearing was the friend of my seeing, and because I knew how to hear openly, my mind wouldn't try to categorize
2: mm-hmm.
1: my mind mm-hmm. knew
0: how to relax in the not knowing if you will
1: yes that's beautiful it I love the way you put it my hearing my hearing was a friend of my seeing yeah. you know because that it is it, it is a support hearing is a very for us it seems to be one of those uh, places where we can just receive the sounds as opposed to doing the hearing. Mm-hmm. We, can't kind of, we can kind of settle back into just receiving the hearing.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And it can teach us a way of attending mm-hmm. that we can then apply to other experiences. Mm-hmm. And you might find um, the hearing being a friend of your attending to the breathing, or the hearing being a friend of your um, attending to the body, you know, that, that it can teach us that kind of relaxed, receptive... Awareness. Oh, yes. It was
0: very helpful. I walked by some young men who were in conversation, and I could feel my brain actually like a muscle cramp down to identify what they're talking about. And I go, okay, it's going to be all right. This is their business, not yours. Get back. And so there's this little like back and forth where then it's all right, you know, not judgment, just that's what the mind likes to do. Fine, we're back. So you know, there was, a, there was still some of this happening, but it was a more relaxed exchange. Mm-hmm,
4: mm-hmm.
1: And it's, it's really helpful to notice, too, that, yes, the mind does, like when it hears a conversation, it kind of goes, oh, <laughs> fit, you know, and listens to the conversation. It gets kind of caught by it. And partly that's, like you say, it's just the way our minds work. When we hear sound, particularly vocal sounds that we recognize in a language that we speak, it's like our mind orients to that and thinks, need to pay attention to this, this is information I need. Um, So it's it's a natural movement of the mind to do that. And we can choose to let go of it or simply just notice, oh, this is what the mind is doing right now. Mm -hmm. And then just keep walking and it fades into the background. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Betsy. Anyone else? Sue.
2: Yeah, it was helpful to play with uh, pacing. I've done that before, but not in concert with the four-part mindfulness. Um, and I know if, uh, that when I have a faster pace, my, that's when my mind is really, really thinking and reeled up. If I have the too slow of a pace... Um, boredom and I get distracted or I search for distractions um, so as I came into my um, my mindful pace um, what I noticed in the scene um, was how my movement or my pace alters with my perceptions of what I was seeing like whether it was pre- ple- pleasant unpleasant or neutral if I if I was moving past something I was Grasping towards pleasant. um, I would slow down Mm -hmm. and as I was moving towards something that was unpleasant I would speed up (laughs) so it was it's nice to see the interconnectedness between our our bodies and our our minds and our thoughts and
1: That's great. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you And I think it's off. Think it's on. Um, Can you hear? Can anybody hear? Oh, yeah, there, there it is. Go. Hello.
3: Um, I spent uh, four minutes on each. I picked that up from somewhere else, and that worked better. I wasn't as agitated by mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And I moved through slightly different things, but when I was on seeing, it was color and form, not the object. hmm and that's very pleasant. I really enjoyed that. And so then, when I tried to move to hearing, it's not at all interesting. And I couldn't stay with hearing. I would kept going back to color and form. So I think I may need to invert them to to actually stay there. But as I was going through the things, as long as they were stuff I was I could um, sink into, the mind was pretty quiet. Mm-hmm. And then you know, I went back and got a cracker and then came in here. And as soon as my mind had said, okay, we're done with that exercise, all the chatter just kicked up really fast. And it was very uh, tangible and it wasn't pleasant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So you know, when you say, um, there's a couple of pieces or threads in what you've said. One is that you had difficulty staying with the hearing And I'm wondering if that... It sounds like because you were essentially kind of really drawn to the seeing, it was hard to move to the hearing. Um, You know, what you might try to do in that kind of a scenario is... You could invert them and see how that works, but um, um, you could also just see if you could do both at the same time.
3: That I think I could do more easily. Yeah, so
1: let, let go of the kind of focus on the seeing to include the hearing and then, um, you know, not, not worry about trying to let go of the seeing to, to, to do the hearing and seeing if you can connect with the hearing that way. And then there was another piece. Um, oh, the chatter kicking in quickly. So um, it sounds like the exercise worked to still your mind and the other piece about the four minutes, that's you know, switching between the seeing, hearing, moving, touching, leaving yourself longer on each one. That's fine to do for any of you. Um, I just put out there about you know 15 paces or so, and play with that pacing. That's fine, to play with it. Whatever supports your ability to be present, that's fine. In this week, we play with creativity. What works... What supports you? So I'll put things out there and feel free to play. Feel free to manipulate, adjust, explore what seems to help you um, in, in being mindful. That's part of what we learn on this week is uh, what mindfulness feels like, what it feels like to be aware, and what supports our ability to be aware. So we'll learn for ourselves what, what does. And then the chatter piece. Um, so it sounds like what happened there is that you were pretty present when the chatter came in.
0: Yeah, I saw it. <laughs> I saw
1: that it wasn't present. <laughs> so can you, can you describe, in the microphone, uh, what <laughs> what, the <laughs> what the feeling of the chatter was? More than unpleasant. Um, let's see.
3: It was it was an agitation, mm-hmm. a uh, uh, more in the the checklist checklist of life variety.
1: Mm-hmm. And where did you physically feel the unpleasantness, oh. or did you physically feel the unpleasantness?
3: It, it was probably more the the classic you know, shoulder neck Mm -hmm. type thing. It wasn't dramatic, but Mm -hmm. kind of in that.
1: But there was a sense of the agitation of mind itself being unpleasant. Yeah. 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 Uh Uh-huh. Good. Okay. So getting familiar with the distinction between what it feels like for the body to be unpleasant and for the mind to be unpleasant. That's an an interesting and important distinction to make. The the mind can feel pleasant or unpleasant. The body can feel pleasant or unpleasant. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay.
3: So I started this uh, not expecting that I would have a lot of trouble with mental chatter. And um, I found that for the first five minutes or so that was the case. And uh, after that came an invasion of thoughts. And I found myself in a very familiar pattern of, oh, there's more thinking, back to Uh seeing. And then trying to step through the process, and then, oh, there's more thinking, back to seeing. The the same process that I'm familiar with from sitting meditation.
1: Absolutely, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why we need some techniques, at least in my experience. That's why it's really helpful to have some techniques for daily life, because... If we don't have those techniques, the mind goes off into its chatter and doesn't recognize that it's done that because there's you know it's there's not the reference point of something that you are intending to do, so having this exercise it's kind of like, oh right, I was intending to be paying attention to seeing right. <laughs> and the mind goes off into chatter, so yeah. that it supports it supports it, and it's not a problem that the mind goes off into chatter it's just beginning to recognize that's what happens and to support the we use these techniques to support the remembering we don't have to beat ourselves up when we remember it's just that's what the mind does it wanders off into thought so the more we can encourage it to remember the more opportunity we have to cultivate the mindfulness Yeah. so let's I I want to go ahead and move on to the uh, the exercises and Just one thread following from that uh, question, or that point, is that, um, so this week I'm gonna talk a lot about mindfulness and awareness and how we recognize it. And a lot about this moment of recognizing that we are aware, that we've forgotten. You know, the moment of remembering mindfulness. Mindfulness is said to be the proximate cause for mindfulness. So we cultivate mindfulness through mindfulness. How does it begin? How do we even begin the process if mindfulness is cultivated by mindfulness? It begins from these spontaneous moments where we remember We don't make the effort to be mindful. Sometimes sometimes we just come back into mindfulness. Actually, every time we come back into mindfulness, we have this spontaneous arising of mindfulness. When we're in sitting meditation and we're wandering off in thought and we remember, oh, I was going to be paying attention to my breathing, that is a moment of mindfulness, of spontaneous mindfulness, of what I call, I think it's actually... um, in the text somewhere, unprompted mindfulness. This mindfulness had just arose based on conditions. You experienced that in the walking, where you were doing uh, the walking, and then noticed that the mind had gone off, and that you were um, wanting to be attending to your experience of seeing. There's that moment of waking up, that moment of remembering. That moment of remembering is crucial. It is the way that we begin our mindfulness practice. We need these moments of unprompted mindfulness in order to cultivate mindfulness. We have to have these moments where mindfulness arises spontaneously in order to then direct our mindfulness to the present moment, to cultivating more mindfulness. And that's called prompted mindfulness. When we are mindful, we can kind of choose to pay attention, choose to be aware. So that's some effort that is put into place to, uh, to choose to pay attention. But it doesn't have to be a lot of effort. And this is another piece that I'm going to emphasize a lot this week that when we come back into mindfulness and remember about mindfulness, we don't need to like, force ourselves into the present moment. We're actually already here, and it doesn't actually take much to remember in the next moment to be mindful. It doesn't take a lot of effort to remember in the next moment to be mindful. So right now, are you aware? Notice that quality of awareness. And now I'm going to suggest some places to pay attention. You know, notice your hands. Notice your pre- the pressure of your butt. Notice the contact of your lips. How hard is that to do when I call it out? It's not very hard. It's pretty light. The, the effort needed to turn your attention to each of those experiences, it's not very heavy. It's pretty... It's not completely effortless, but it doesn't take a lot of striving effort to do that. So this is the quality of effort that we really want to cultivate, especially in our daily life practice. Very light, just uh, touching our experience light in a light way. It's the continuity of mindfulness that gives it its depth of penetrating um, uh, wisdom where we can see things very clearly. But it doesn't take a forcing into the present moment. It's more that the mindfulness just needs to kind of Touch experience continuously, like touching this bell. You know, just staying in contact, staying in contact with the bell. The more we stay in contact with our experience, the more we understand about it. So that's the movement as we explore mindfulness this week. Now, as some ways to uh, help you remember, because it 's very hard to remember this, um, I have two main exercises to work with, and many of you know these already because I think many of you have done the uh, this retreat before, but I will just mention them again, and we 'll just describe them. Uh, kind of briefly. So the first, the first exercise I like to suggest for people is to pick something that happens regularly through your day and see if you can resolve to be mindful of that. Resolve to remember that you are doing that thing. Might be standing up, Walking through doorways, turning on light switches, using keys in doorways, um, picking up a glass to drink. It might be contact with paper, um, clicking send for an email, many, many things. As long as it's something that happens pretty regularly through your day, just pick something that happens regularly through your day, something pretty neutral. Hopefully. Maybe clicking send for email isn't, isn't a good idea. <laughs> some, some neutral thing. If, there's, if you're sitting at a computer a lot, pick some neutral thing that happens on your computer or some physical activity. It's helpful if this is something that you initiate, some action that you do. So in this process of... Um, Exploring mindfulness this week. This task for this week can be your reference point. Kind of like the breath is our reference point in sitting meditation. It will help you to know how much you are mindful. It will help you to recognize how long it's been since you really paid attention. So, for instance, what typically happens with these kinds of exercises is that you resolve, maybe right now you resolve, okay, I'm going to pay attention when I stand up. And then uh, you forget about it until you're going to bed tonight. It's just not there. You just don't remember. The moment that you remember, the moment that you first remember that you've forgotten all day long, That moment isn't the moment to tell yourself, oh, I can't do this. That's actually the moment it starts. The practice starts. You have remembered. It's like waking up in your sitting meditation. It's like remembering that you have not been paying attention to the breathing in the sitting meditation. It's just got a longer time frame that we're working with in our daily lives. So you recognize, you remember, oh, I haven't paid attention to standing up all afternoon." That moment of remembering is a moment of spontaneously arising mindfulness. You have remembered. So in that moment, take in what's happening in that light way that I was talking about. Just notice. Are you at ease? Are you agitated? That's actually a good one to check into, first of all. Is there agitation or ease? Notice if there's tension in the body there's no need to try to hold on to the mindfulness at that point but see if you can kind of hover in that space of being aware see if you can hover in that space of being mindful not with a heaviness of attention but just moving through your activity whatever you've come you've become aware in the midst of something maybe you're pulling the bed covers down to get into bed. Can you just kind of in a light way hang out with the task that you have woken up into? So just, you've remembered, be aware in that moment. Not with a grasping kind of mindfulness, but just a very light touch. And also in that moment, the other crucial bit to this moment is to remember the exercise that you've picked, and resolve again to keep trying. So you don't just kind of blow off the exercise. You remembered, you have remembered. It's like, oh, okay, I've forgotten. I'm here, I'm agitated or not. My body is relaxed or at ease. This is the thing, the task I'm doing, just kind of being here in that moment, and resolve, I'm going to try again. I'm going to try again. Over the course of a couple of days or maybe even quicker with the kind of support that we have on this retreat, you'll remember that you've forgotten more frequently. You'll remember five, six, seven times during the day that you haven't remembered to stand up. That's five or six or seven more moments of mindfulness than you would have had. And it's also showing you that your mindfulness is now kicking in more often. happening more frequently. At some point, the, the, the remembering will get closer to the actual task. You'll actually start to remember maybe a few moments after you've stood up or a few moments after you've walked through a doorway. The mindfulness is starting to really get closer to the task at that point. And at some point, you'll wake up, you'll remember right as you're doing the thing. At that point, it can start to serve as a wake-up bell for you. You'll start to remember that the thing itself will help you to wake up. And you'll forget for hours at a time. And you'll remember. There'll be periods of the day where you remember every time and then whole chunks of time where you forget completely. It's all fine. Just notice when you remember. Remember. And be aware in that moment. This will begin to pull a thread of awareness through your day. That's one of the things it does. The other piece I'd like you to recognize or just kind of begin to see if you can touch into or get familiar with is that moment of remembering. What does it feel like to have remembered? A moment ago your mind was lost in thought and now you are aware of what you're doing. There's a tangible experience, a difference in experience of being aware. And you can know what it feels like to be aware. So just as you wake up in that moment, as you remember in that moment, also see if you can touch into what does it feel like to be aware. Now it's a pretty ordinary feeling. So it's, It may not feel like big bells and whistles and, you know, fireworks are going off. Oh, perfectly, clearly aware. It feels pretty ordinary. And because it feels so ordinary, we often miss it. So just see if you can attune to that very ordinary quality of being here. The more you attune to that feeling, the more those moments when we spontaneously come back into awareness will be recognized. We miss those moments of awareness a lot because we don't recognize them. They happen to us a lot. Way more than you probably know. These for a split second, we'll be aware. We'll, be, we'll know what's happening while it's happening. We cannot get through our day without knowing what's happening while it's happening. We just don't notice the fact that we know what's happening while it's happening. So, can you begin to get familiar with that feeling? And if you, as you get familiar with that feeling, those split seconds of remembering, those split seconds of knowing what's happening while it's happening, of knowing that you're getting ready to step into a street and needing to check both directions to look for cars, you'll be aware of that as a moment of mindfulness and not simply as a moment to do something with. Mostly what we do with our moments of mindfulness is we do something with them, our moments of knowing what's happening while it's happening. We, we do something with the content of what we've noticed. And we do have to engage with that content in our daily lives. So I'm not suggesting that you abandon the content in your mindfulness in your daily lives. Because we do have to engage with the content. We have to engage with stepping off the curb and looking both directions to make sure you're not going to get hit by a car. We can't just engage in form and color. (laughs) We can at times, but we do need the content. So part of this week is learning how to be mindful with the content. In our sitting practice, we learn to let go of the content over and over and over and over again. And that's part of why it's so hard in our daily lives to be mindful. Because the content catches us and we don't know how to be mindful while we are engaging in content. So... That light touch of awareness can take in the content of what's happening and know what's happening while it's happening. One of my teachers, Sayada Utejaniya, says to cultivate a 50-50 mindfulness, 50% of the attention on what you're doing, so essentially the content of what's happening, and 50% of your attention on knowing that it's happening. So 50% of your attention on the awareness, 50% of your attention on the content. So that exercise of picking something that happens regularly through your day will begin to draw a thread of mindfulness through your day. It will bring you more moments of mindfulness through your day. It will help you to see how much you're forgetting and how much you are remembering. It gives you feedback, and it helps you to recognize what this mindfulness feels like, to begin to get familiar with the feeling of mindfulness, the feeling of knowing, the feeling of awareness. So this, this task has all, serves all of those purposes. The second, the second task I'd like to suggest is one that... Uh, allows you to make some effort to pull the thread of mindfulness through a longer period. With this first exercise, it really is about just remembering, and you don't have to try to hold on to the mindfulness. Just go about with your day. Um, You know, I really don't want you to feel like the mindfulness is a burden. If you start feeling like the mindfulness is something added to your experience and it feels burdensome, like, I don't have time to be mindful. If you start feeling like that, then you're trying too hard, essentially. That the, um, the lightness we're trying to go for is just something that, it's like the mindfulness can imbue our experience. It doesn't have to be something extra that we do. And so that's really that kind of light touch is, is what I like to have people cultivate during this week. So in the um, task that happens regularly through your day, when you notice, just take in a moment or two. See if you can hover in that for any length of time, but don't try. Don't try to stay with it. Don't use too much effort. It's just noticing the feeling of knowing for however long it's there. Then for this other exercise, it's, uh, it's a little more doing. So I want you to pick a task, a chore, that lasts maybe three to five minutes, making your bed, brushing your teeth, washing the dishes, putting dishes away from the dishwasher, picking up the house, something that you do at least once a day. And uh, see if you can remember to do that task and do it mindfully. See if you can engage in the bodily experience of doing that task. Kind of like you've engaged in a dance of awareness. And see if you can, with this, as light of touch as possible, stay present through that whole three to five minutes. So see if you can touch into the mindfulness. And you'll probably lose track of it. You'll, your mind will wander and you'll remember, oh, right, trying to pay attention to the, to the brushing my teeth. Um, just notice that the mind wanders and comes back and wanders and comes back. But just see if you can make the effort to stay present during that, during that chore. So that gives you a little bit of a sense of how to uh, cultivate the mindfulness, hopefully in a light way, so that it doesn't feel heavy. Very helpful to come into the body for this, come into the bodily experience. Let go of the thoughts as much as possible. As the week goes on, we will be able to become more and more aware of the thinking process, but it's really helpful and supportive to let go of thoughts, particularly in, uh, in the chore. I mean, you really don't need to be thinking about the next thing you're doing while you're doing the chore. You can take those three to five minutes to just be there. So I want to check in and see if there's any questions. Um about these exercises? It's clear? Everybody's clear? Okay, good. Um, Then the theme for the week... Actually, let's see. Well, I'll go ahead and introduce the theme. Then we can take a short break and then we can come back and do an exercise around the theme. So, as I mentioned earlier, the theme for this week is Cultivating Happiness. So, I'd like to suggest that as you engage in your experience this week, attuned to the quality of happiness. We can cultivate happiness by recognizing that it happens. And kind of like the moments of mindfulness that just spontaneously appear throughout our day there are actually little tiny moments of happiness that appear throughout our day, too. Just little tiny things, like, you know, a moment of pleasure when you uh, bite into a piece of ripe fruit. You know, there's just kind of this, ooh, that's, that's pleasant. You know, there's a pleasantness that appears. Or um, perhaps having a, um, a very intimate conversation with a friend, There can be a a sense of connection and happiness that happens. So there can be these moments of happiness that happen throughout our day. So I'd like to suggest that you see if you can notice these moments. Just start seeing if you can recognize happiness when it arises. Now, there's lots of different flavors of happiness. And I'm going to... I think I'm, I'm probably going to do a talk on this tomorrow night, so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail right now. But there's, there's the happiness that we usually think of as happiness, which is the happiness of getting what we want. And this kind of happiness... It's really worth looking at how happy it actually makes you. Um, of of what? Hedonism? No, we're not going to call it that. <laughs> um, so there's there's that you know there's that sense that we we get happiness from getting what we want. And that's the main way a lot of times that we think of as how we cultivate happiness, is by getting what we want. And yet if you start to really observe what happens around the getting what you want, there's a lot of suffering that happens around that. There's the suffering of the wanting, the thing. There's the real suffering if you don't happen to get it. Uh, there's the clinging to it when you've gotten it, or there's the briefness of the, the happiness, like, you know, a piece of chocolate, you know. Oh, I really want that chocolate. Yeah, there's a split second of happiness when you have that chocolate. But then what has happened around this pattern of thinking that happiness comes from getting what we want, so we've had a split second of getting that chocolate that we want, and then we need to find something else to want so that we can get that and then something else, and something else, and something else. And so we just end up on this cycle of wanting, wanting, wanting. Sometimes getting, having, having a moment of pleasantness, sometimes not, getting frustrated, annoyed, irritated, depressed, sad. That whole pattern is not one that's very conducive to a real, uh, true happiness. There is some happiness to getting what you want the teaching around this is to really observe the how gratifying is it? How gratifying is it actually to get what you want? How long does it last? How long does that moment of gratification really last? And what happens to you when that moment of gratification ends? So observing that kind of happiness, really kind of getting familiar with how it operates for us How does this movement of getting what we want operate in our lives? And then starting to notice some more subtle, more um, uh, maybe refined kinds of happiness. The happiness of just being, which can come when we are mindful, aware of our experience. Just the presence, just the fullness of experience. Particularly when experience is pleasant, this is easier to touch into. So if you are, you know, taking a walk on a lovely afternoon where the sun is shining and there's a nice breeze, allow yourself to feel the happiness of just being in that experience. And there's the happiness of letting go the happiness of letting go, of realizing actually that when we let go of something, when we let go, there's a relief that can happen, an experience of not needing to hold on to. That is a kind of a happiness. It's like, oh, I don't need to be clenched to hold on to that thing. There's a kind of a clenching as we're holding on to something. And as we open our tension to let go of it, it can it can feel like just being released from a vice grip. Just the whew. So there's the happiness of letting go. There's the happiness of exploring our experience with mindfulness. This can be a very interesting um, type of happiness that as we begin to get really familiar with what it means to pay attention to our experience, whether our experience is pleasurable or unpleasurable, there can start to be a balance of mind around experience. So it's essentially the happiness of non-reactivity, and we see, as we bring this quality of mindfulness to our experience, we see, oh, I'm not being, I'm not reacting the way I would have, and that can bring a happiness to it, to us. It's a sense of, oh, so actually, it can be be joyful. Be more than happy. It can be joyful, and then there's the happiness of not suffering, which is a little more neutral. And this is the this kind of happiness we often overlook. You know, we're, we're kind of in a space where not much is happening, not much is going on. And often in that kind of a space, we are looking for the next thing to want to have to get happiness, or we're bored, or we're uh, thinking something should be happening, could be in denial. Um, So in that space of not much happening, if we can be aware of it, Often, there's a kind of a neutral peacefulness that can be connected with. This kind of, um, a a good place to play with checking into this kind of happiness is uh, when you're between activities, If you can actually recognize that you've finished something, when you've actually finished a task, put it down, stop that thing. If you can take a moment at at that moment before you've leapt into the next activity, just notice what it feels like to have finished something. Stopped at stoplights or stop signs is another good place to check into this feeling. There's not much happening. You're just sitting there waiting. Stop signs, stoplights are great. You know, they're just great mindfulness bells. Like, stop, pay attention. In that moment of being stopped at a stoplight, just what's happening? You know, maybe not much is happening. What does it feel like for not much to be happening? I can do a little thought experiment here for you. Imagine that you've broken your leg and you've got a big cast on your leg. Just imagine, think about how hard it would be, you know, what, what life would be like for you to get out of bed in the morning, get yourself bathed, however you have to do that with a big cast on, if you've got stairs in your house, how you have to work yourself down the stairs, how do you prepare your meal, maybe you have to make arrangements for somebody to pick you up and take you to work, Things become pretty cumbersome with that broken leg. And then imagine, in a split second, the cast is gone. How does that make you feel? There's a relief, a sense of, huh, don't have to do that. That's the way you live your lives right now. You don't have that cast on your legs right now. So there's a way, that's kind of the, the happiness of not suffering, that, that contrast between those two thought experiments. So just see if you can recognize when non-suffering is happening. It's a pretty subtle experience, but just see if you can recognize that. It's a doorway to a subtle kind of peace, a subtle kind of happiness. So are there any any comments or questions about this part of the... Practice for the week. Yeah, Meryl. How do you differentiate between joy and happiness? How do you I wouldn't worry so much about differentiating between it, but just start to recognize what feels like happiness to you and what feels like joy to you. That there, there is. Um, um, And there will be different levels, essentially, as you explore this during the week. There'll be moments of just feeling like, you know, just kind of a quiet relaxation where there's a sense of just peacefulness. Then there's a more active sense of happiness, of, you know, really connecting with something that that brings up feelings of happiness. Maybe a little bit more uh, liveliness to that happiness might be joyful, um, so just kind of levels, just noticing the different levels of, of this quality of, um, of happiness and non-suffering. Just getting familiar with the range of that. And part of the reason for this, uh, the part of the reason I'm suggesting this as a, as a practice this week is because often in the Buddhist practice, you know, suffering... Is the guiding force, right? We, understanding suffering, understanding the cause of suffering. This is where a lot of our practice is. It's where a lot of our engagement is. We, we meet our suffering, we're mindful of it, we, you know, pay attention to it, we notice the reactivity to our suffering. All of that is in the realm of our practice and we engage with that in our sitting meditation and in our daily lives. And it's a great avenue to explore because when we're suffering, we have an incentive to wake up and pay attention and, and to work with these practices. But we sometimes forget about the fact that this path is one that leads us towards happiness and that we can actually recognize the quality of happiness in our experience, both as we engage in the practice and just in our daily lives, just in our normal experience, that we can um, touch into this quality of happiness. And I I like to offer it as a little bit of a, uh, a corrective, in a sense, because we're so focused on suffering that we forget that we can also practice to cultivate happiness. It's actually part of the path. And the Buddha talks about right effort being of four kinds, where we, you know, we notice where we're suffering and clinging, and we also notice when the wholesome states are arising. So this is kind of bringing in that side of the equation in our practice, and it, at least for me, it really helped. T- it really helps to highlight this quality because. Um, I tend to be more identified with the suffering and less identified with the happiness. So the, um, the happiness can be dismissed in a way that, oh, this isn't the important part. I'm supposed to get back to paying attention to my suffering. So we kind of dismiss the happiness in a way. So I'm encouraging you in this week to not dismiss it actually settle in and recognize when it happens. Just take it in. Take it in that it happens. And encouraging you to notice these really subtle kinds of happiness, too, because they will, there will be little, little tiny moments through the day. You know, you finish something, you write an email, and the wording is just right, and there's a sense of, yeah, I did a good job. That's fine. You know, there's a moment of sense of, Accomplishment, a sense of having done something well, those things are moments of appreciation. That's another way to look at happiness, moments of appreciation. When do we appreciate things? Gratitude is another good avenue into this and you might um, add as a practice for yourself, when you go to bed at night, reflecting back on your day. Because sometimes we miss things through our day. You know, we miss what we have appreciated in the busyness of our day. And so taking some time in the evening, five minutes or so, as you're falling asleep, to think back on... What did I appreciate about this day? Where were there moments of joy or happiness or peacefulness? So to use that reflective process to support this exploration of happiness. Any other comments or questions? Then we'll take a short break. i hope it's uh i hope it's a joyful week <laughs> okay let's take a um let's take a ten minute break um go to the bathroom get a drink that describe the exercises and um what we've talked about today so I I don't want you to leave without them if you would like to have one. And for those of you who have participated in the retreat before, there are two handouts. One is a general handout that talks about the the general exercises and one is one that describes the theme for the week. And um, the the, the general handout has new material in it. So if you have picked it up before, you might want to pick up a copy again. So um, I'd like to teach you another practice that I find really supportive of daily life practice. And it's a practice that begins to integrate content and mindfulness so that we can reflect on something, reflect on a topic, reflect on a theme um, with a mindful approach. This is very supportive for us, and, and I think it will help um, to help you see how creativity can come into the daily life practice. Because partly what I'm going to ask you to reflect on is how you might cultivate happiness. Think for, creatively for yourself how you might want to be cultivating happiness this week so this practice is a it's a meditative practice this reflective practice so we start by settling into a meditation start by settling in through just being present being aware paying attention to your breathing however you normally settle into a sitting meditation and then part partway in a few minutes in dropping some kind of a theme or question into the meditation And then not thinking about that theme, but instead noticing how the mind and body responds to the introduction of that theme. So in this case, we'll drop in some themes around happiness and the, the practice is to just allow those thoughts to kind of resonate in the body and mind and notice what bubbles up. There might be physical feelings that bubble up There might be senses in the body, uh, changes in the bodily experience. There might be thoughts or emotions that bubble up. So to just um, take note of whatever happens with this theme being introduced. And then you can just keep coming back to the theme, not necessarily thinking about what has come up in terms of, Uh, The the practice isn't to jump on the thoughts or whatever has arisen and think about it, but just keep coming back to the theme. And just notice, how does the successive uh, repetition of this theme impact you over time? You can, if you wish, after doing a practice like this, um, do this for maybe, you might want to do this for maybe 10 minutes or so, and I'd like to suggest you try this for like 10 minutes a day this the, in the morning perhaps as a way to um, align yourself with this theme of happiness for each day. So after you have, and you can do this, this second part or not depending on your proclivities or your interest. After you have done this, say, 10 minutes or so of reflection, you can write down what you noticed in your reflection. So you know, spend a few minutes just taking note of the few, the f- few things that have come up for you. Doesn't have to be a long, detailed uh, description, but just some themes of what has come up for you. So you might begin to get some new information day to day around this theme. So we'll we'll try this now, and we'll start. Um, by moving into the meditation. And then, oh, the other piece about this, when you do this on your own, it's really helpful to know the theme, the question, the phrasing of what you're going to ask yourself before you go into the meditation. So you don't have to take time thinking about what you're going to reflect on in the midst of the meditation. So you just... Settle yourself into meditation. You have, you have picked your question, your theme, your phrase, however you want to, to use it. And then a few minutes into the meditation, think that thought, think that phrase, and see what happens. And then again, and again. And the question may actually refine itself or shift a little bit as, or the phrase, the sense of the exploration may shift a little bit as you continue to touch into the question. And that's fine. You just, just go with the, the question as it, as it unfolds. So um, let's just settle in. And this, in this experience that we're going to do here, I'm going to provide the question for you so you don't have to think about it. So just go ahead and settle into um, your meditation, relaxing your body, particularly relaxing your body. Settling into the present moment in whatever way is most natural for you. just let yourself settle in and and I'll offer you a phrase in a couple of minutes What is happiness? How do I feel happiness? Relax. No need to do the question, just relax. How do I feel happiness? How does happiness express itself? How does happiness express itself? how does happiness express itself How does happiness express
4: itself? How might
1: I incline towards happiness? How might I incline towards happiness? Happiness. Happiness. BINNUS. So what did you notice? What happened for you as you did that? Anybody willing to share about this? Yeah, Maureen.
5: When we've done this exercise before, sometimes there isn't a hook. It's almost as if you dangle a bait down and it's not something that I there's no edges to grasp on. It's a very neutral thing for me and it's like sort of like a mm, like a grunt in response. You know, I don't get much. So you always feel like, oh nothing happened there, you know. <laughs> but with this one it was more charged. There was more of a hook for it. So Was the first thing you asked what is happiness yes, okay within the first couple of of iterations of that type of thing, i got it was like a the water in a bowl and i had and it was i kept on getting these visualizations, which was interesting, so that it was almost as if happiness was always there mm. so And that was, oh, that's interesting. And then there was a point where... What were the ones, the words that you used when you were uh, talking about... um, what inhibits happiness? Did you have something with that? What
1: were the last two things that you did? Let's see, there was, what is happiness... How do I experience happiness? Um, Oh, how do I incline towards... How do I incline towards happiness is the last one. Then there was another one I can't... Does anybody... Happiness, uh, happiness, yeah.
5: One of the visualizations I got, it was how do I incline towards happiness? And what I visualized was a really messy desk. (laughs) And... (laughs) the under the messy desk was happiness and it was more or less like you know i i sort of had that f- half dreaming confusion of the feeling of the water mixed in with the feeling of the desk and all i had to do was take the messy stuff off the desk uh-huh. Uh-huh. and it was like ah. this sort of like but i had that like watching the 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 picking the thing off and it's got you know it's got it's wet And it's like, what do you do? It's like, you shake it. And it's like, oh, that. And I remembered, oh, that's happiness. It's (laughs) like, damn, you're taking this stuff. But it's like all this nasty stuff that's covering over this happiness. It's covered with happiness. And it's like, oh, here, take that. (laughs) So there was a a really revealing quality to the whole thing. And you Uh hit something that had enough hooks that that it generated responses in me.
1: Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, you might want to take a few notes. Uh, The other piece I like to suggest about this is that you may get some of these interesting dreamlike images like that, that that have some resonance for you and that you can articulate the images. And you know, you may have a sense of how it relates to your life.
5: Or oh, you mean my personal messy desk? Yes. Yes,
1: yes. But, but maybe there may be a more metaphorical messy desk that that, that was referring to. It may be oh. more metaphorical. Damn straight. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, you might want to, you know, take some notes about that and then, you know, just keep doing this kind of exploration. And, the, you know, if you do this each day, you know, it may help point you in the direction of noticing Everything you pick up may have that quality, of there can be happiness here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, that sounds that sounds lovely. Thank you for sharing. Anyone else? Yeah. Oops.
2: Is it on? So, with the question, "How do you incline towards happiness?" I thought about it for a few seconds, and I realized, well, I choose it. Just choose to be happy. It's like that. that sort of that phrase, you know, is the glass half empty or half full. It's
1: all the you know, it's the prism that I choose to see it through. That's a beautiful recollection. A beautiful insight. Yeah. Thank you, Sue.
2: Um, I found in your first statements, like uh, what is happiness, Um, it aided my awareness of my body. Um, I was less distracted, pull off into thoughts. And then your very skillful use of the word incline. I don't know if you did this on purpose, but when you first stated that, you said, how do I incline, and you paused. And I looked at that word literally um, as incline up. And then as you finished your sentence, how do I incline towards happiness? Um, I literally felt myself focusing more outside of my body, more away from myself, which is, yeah, get yourself out of the ego. Get yourself <laughs> away from yourself. Look out. Mm-hmm. Look into the interconnectedness of the world. And um, I was very skillful, so thank you for that. <laughs> pausing after <laughs> incline.
1: I think that was an accident. <laughs> Perhaps a skillful accident. Happy accident. A happy accident.
5: <laughs> I had an image of butterfly in, and um, uh, when you mentioned the question, I don't know which. Mm-hmm. And then I feel. Um, Happy when I feel gratitude, Mm -hmm. grateful. um, And some words, um, I feel happy when I hear some words. And a smile Mm -hmm. raises happiness, a
1: feeling of happiness. Thank you for mentioning that, that... uh That's a great trick that um, just now, and just settle into your body. Just feel your body. Check into your body. Notice what's happening. Now, I'd like you to consciously, intentionally turn the corners of your mouth up into a half smile and notice what happens in your experience. So, what happened? Betsy. Um, right for the microphone.
0: <laughs> I noticed a spaciousness open up in the solar plexus area. It just felt larger
1: mm-hmm. and more empty. Uh huh huh What what was the um emotional feeling of that? Or was there an emotional light A Light Lightheartedness, okay. Uh-huh.
0: And yet the heart was lower, mm. if you will. Physically it was it was beneath where I identify my heart mm. as being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But a, but an openness. Thank you.
1: Anyone else? What happened? Yeah. It was like invitation
5: to step into happiness.
1: Yes. Uh huh. Uh huh. Anyone else? Yeah, Bill.
3: I um. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose I'd been thinking, so my uh, forehead was sort of knitted. As soon as I did that half-smile, I, uh, um, I relaxed, and the forehead relaxed.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. In fact, I think, actually, from what I understand, that the smile actually relaxes the muscles some. You yeah, that we think of it as tensing the muscles, but I think it's partly because we're doing another thing with our face <laughs> a lot. <laughs> so our face isn't used to relaxing into a smile. What else anybody else have a have anything happen or not happen
4: yeah Lauren in the first exercise with the reflections, um, I was surprised that I didn't really feel much resonance with most of the questions, and um, I think I was sort of. Trying a little too hard, trying to sort of say, "Well, no, what is the answer that I would give here?" And (laughs) and you asked, um, "How do I recognize happiness?" And all of a sudden, it was like, "Oh, that's it." (laughs) And I and then again, then it happened again. It was sort of like, "Well, well, what words would I give this? How would I describe this?" And then it sort of went away. And you asked it again, and I just sort of relaxed into it and just sort of let it be there and let it grow. And it's like. I don't know how I'd say it but this is it you know it's uh-huh. just just being able to recognize it uh-huh. and it was the only question of the four or the only statement of the four that um, that really that resonated, resonated. Mm-hmm. it was really it was really kind of nice just sort of not digging not trying to have an answer just mm-hmm. tr- just it just was there it was really kind of nice yeah
1: and this this technique of reflective practice As Lauren mentioned, you know, sometimes you may not get much, and that's fine. You don't have to try to get anything to happen. Just notice what happens. Um, Some days there'll be more resonance. Other days um, there won't. And it might be that changing the question or changing the phrasing will help. So that's why I offered several phrases um, to, to kind of see whether... One's would connect. So, if you find one that resonates on a particular day, you can ask yourself that question several times, quite a few times. You know, you might ask it five or six times, even longer, more in the meditation. You can also just use the word "happiness" to reflect on happiness, just dropping that word in and see what happens around it. So, yeah, sometimes you may not get much resonance, and that's 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 not a problem. You know, just and and two this is a practice so it takes some practice (laughs) Um, so yeah don't don't worry if you're not noticing much at first but it's a very helpful tool to explore themes that we want to think about but use the intuition and the knowledge that comes from a quiet mind so this, this can be used in many, many different circumstances. This tool can be used in many, many different circumstances in our daily lives. If we're having difficulty choosing or, or making a decision about something, we can use that question and see what bubbles up around, around the various uh, thoughts of the decisions one way or the other. And you can, you, it's a very powerful tool to help us touch into the more intuitive aspect that arises in meditation. And apply that to content. Apply it to a theme that we want to reflect on. Not to think about it, again, not to think about it, but really to just trust whatever bubbles up as being the thing to notice at that moment. And it may seem like it's completely unrelated. You know, just some image bubbles up and it's like, what does that have to do with anything? Just make a note of that image. And over time, there may be some resonance that you understand how that image connects with the theme. Our minds work in very mysterious ways, so you know we may not necessarily. We, we, if we're in a, a quiet place like that, we can get very dreamlike images that may not be too sensi- sensical. They may not seem so like they have make so much sense. So just kind of make notes of them and and over time, sit with those images and see, see what happens. Anybody, anybody else have any experience around the, the, um, either the, the questions or the turning the mouth into a half-smile that they'd be interested in reporting? Meryl, yeah.
5: I just had a physical sense of happiness. It was like all of a sudden, at one point, the tension in the body just let go, and there was just a presence of ease. And I, I, I sensed throughout that that's happiness mm-hmm. that sense of not tightening, not clinging, just relax.
1: That's beautiful. Yeah, it's a, you know, just exploring what is it? What is the feeling of happiness? Now the trick of smiling is one you might play with too throughout your your week, your day. Um, there's actually research done on this that um, two scientists, a neuroscientist and a, a researcher on emotions were doing some research on emotions in the brain. And they had people hooked up to electrodes and or you know, trying to understand what the various patterns of brain patterns of different emotions were. And they discovered that if people actually put their mouth into a smile intentionally, that it's like it was a mechanism that turned happiness on in the brain. That actually that, it's not only a responsive feature, you know, when we're happy we smile, but it can also generate the feeling of happiness. That's the seems to be something about the way our our body is designed to do that. So you might play with that. You know, um, let yourself smile now and then. <laughs> see, see what happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh,
6: okay, and the contemplation and happiness. I. What I was more um, in touch with is, is more the depth of the um, relaxation and the depth of just stillness that came to me. I, w- mm-hmm. I came quite tired from work. And um, I was really surprised that within this um, short amount of time, I, I, I felt this deep stillness mm-hmm. that came to me but every time I would hear um, a question and I would, my mind would just more cue into happiness more than anything else, just the word. And I would feel um, sensations in the body. That's where it was most prominent, sensations in the body. And it was um, as if it w- my body were an energy field, perhaps like a sky, mm-hmm. and I would have sensations of stars. Mm. It's just like a starry night, basically, in my body. Mm-hmm. And so, um, um, and then one of the questions gener- generated—they answered me in, um, or how do you find happiness, or something like that, where my brain came with the idea in the moment. You know, it was mm. just sort of like in a sp- spontaneous. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the other part, there was a particular you know uh, when i when i heard they were relaxed i felt fear and it was more fear of getting involved in the mind answering the questions in a cognitive um kind of way rather than being in the body and just letting them resonate and drop in mm-hmm. rather than so i felt this uh, tinge of fear about my mind getting caught up in Entering it in a cognitive process, which was, you know, what we, in some ways, the recommendations were not to go there. Yeah. So uh-huh. there was that fear. Um, what happens with this, the exercise of the smile, is that for the first time I was aware of the solar plexus. And um, I've never had that sensation. Most of my body sensations, you know, are on the heart or the the throat area. And for the first time, it came to to the solar plexus. And it was a very strong sensation. It wasn't quite pain. But I, um, it's just this concentrated energy mm. that I've mm. never really... Uh, so as if something opened on my awareness of, of this area, opened. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was... But there was something just very light energy, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that is uplifting,
1: a mm-hmm. very gentle, very... Very subtle. Mm-hmm. The of. beautiful description you describe your experience very clearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you. So, let's end with a few minutes of meta practice, which also has a quality in a sense, it it touches us into happiness through the exploration of metta as well. So allowing your body to relax and settle around the experience in your heart, whatever that experience is, no need to change it or... Try to make it anything in particular. Just noticing how your heart feels right now. Just that area. And maybe taking a few breaths through that area of your heart. And allowing yourself to recall, recollect some qualities that you like about yourself. And if you are having trouble thinking of some, I'll give you some. You have the interest in understanding your mind, in connecting to others with mindful attention. You are here with the interest in touching the world through mindfulness, opening your heart to your experience. allow yourself to gently wish well wishes to yourself make make some well wishing thoughts may i be happy may i be healthy May I be safe. May I live with ease. And seeing if you can relax and allow your heart to open to wish everyone in the room well including yourself. May all of us be happy. May all of us be healthy. May all of us be safe. May all of us be at ease. And allowing that wish of happiness to touch all beings. May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be safe May all beings live with ease. And we're going to make that reflection again and think about the fact that not only are you included in your own wish for all beings to be happy, that you're included in everyone's wish for all beings to be happy. Seeing if you can open yourself and allow it to feel like a gentle rain of well wishing. May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be safe. May all beings live with ease. May all beings be free from suffering.